Welcome to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. We are grateful to God. We're going to go right into the word of the Lord. We'll be in Galatians, the third chapter, verses 1 to 2 for our exegetical scripture. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4 for our anchor scripture. Galatians 3, 1 to 2, when you have it, say amen. And then 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. And since y'all was in here shouting all day, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm still going to preach. But I'll be conscious of the time. Somebody say amen. Because if you shouting without the word, you shouting on no floor. And you need a foundation. I can't get no help. Can you... Uh, I'm muffled. Just give me, give me more highs because my voice is already gone. Somebody say amen. Galatians, the third chapter, verses 1 through 2, it reads as thus. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? So there's just to make an insertion there. Whenever you are not following the truth, you have been bewitched. So whenever... You are not married to the principle of truth. It means that you are under the spell of the lie. It says, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. That meant that they saw him. Somebody said they saw him. It's amazing to me that they could have been alive in that time, walked on the very streets that he walked on, literally ran into the same dust that he ran into, yet they questioned the validity of who he was and what he had experienced. Somebody say amen. It said, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Somebody say, are you so foolish? Look at your neighbor and say, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Second Timothy first, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Somebody say, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means when you feel like it, when you don't feel like it. It means when things are going your way, when things are not going your way. When it's convenient, when it's not convenient. He says be ready in season and out of season. He says convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come. He's not a question. He's not posing an inquisition of any sort, but this is an emphatic apostolic statement. He says the time will come. Somebody say it will come. It says when they will not endure sound doctrine. I could close the Bible right here. The time will come. Somebody say, are we in that time? When they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Are y'all listening? According to their own desires, it says because they have itching ears. Somebody say itching ears. The only time something's itching is when it's infected. They have infected ears. 
So they will heap up for themselves teachers. It means God didn't call them. It means God didn't anoint them. It means that God didn't position them. It means the infection in their ear is going to commission people into the ministry to teach. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. That means the truth is present. Somebody say it's present. It means the truth is being preached. It means the truth is being taught. But they are going to turn their ear away from the truth into what's going to itch the infection. And be turned aside to fables. That's the reading of the word. Paul, as an apostle had a a dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus. Unlike those who followed Jesus' ministry for years or those other apostles who were directly selected by Jesus to walk with him in ministry, Paul had a dramatic conversion and a dramatic experience. He saw the Lord by revelation and he traced the validity of his salvation to his rich experience with the Lord. Some people will say that someone with an experience is never at the mercy of an argument of someone against it or someone with an argument against it. So in other words, if I have an encounter, it doesn't matter what your opinion is. If I have an experience, what you think about it, what you say about it doesn't matter because my experience validates the fact that what I have encountered is actually real. Paul was astute in the doctrines and in the traditions of his fathers. He was a scholar and God used his natural life experience for his spiritual vocation. Somebody shout hallelujah. Paul was addressing a perversion of the gospel of grace that was infecting the Galatian churches. They were advocating for salvation by the works of the law. Paul called it a different gospel. In another place he said, he said, if me or somebody else or even an angel from heaven preach unto you another gospel than what you have received, let him be accursed. He said, you guys are being overtaken by another gospel, one that did not come out of my mouth. It did not come from the Lord. Somebody shout amen. In his argument, he reasserted, reasserted his authority as an apostle, as a direct dispatch from the Godhead, which had been minimized by the false teacher. One of the things that make the false teachers uh, false is not just that they teach a lie, it's that, that they live a lie. And it's not just that they live a lie, but it means that they are a lie. I know I'm not going to get a lot of help because a lot of the false teachers in our generation have profitable ministries. A lot of the false teachers in our day have big pulpits and big programs and big choirs and some of them have recorded a few albums. But the problem with the false teachers is that they will always castigate and come against the thing that is true. Somebody say amen. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. Nobody can work to earn salvation. You can't pay for salvation. You can't tithe into salvation. You can't sow a seed into salvation. I can't get help. You have to make up your mind to have a resolute faith in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. I feel like preaching something's on me. I don't know what it is. But what they were going through there was a a false belief and doctrine that said that salvation was no longer simply by faith. 
They said that if you did this, if you observed the law, uh, more particularly, they said if you were circumcised like the Jews demanded, they said salvation could be obtained. So Paul begins this letter by explaining to them who has bewitched you. He asked them a question. He says, you began in the spirit. You began on the right track. You began experiencing the power of God. You began understanding the doctrine of repentance. You began by recognizing the power in the blood of Jesus. But somewhere along the line, you began to believe the doctrines of devils and the doctrines of men. And I'm not going to get a lot of help in here this morning, but I want to ask somebody who has bewitched you. Because you're, oh God, help me, let me get through the nose. Let me get there. Who has bewitched you because you began well? You began in truth. You begin in the scripture, not yet. You begin doing it the way God had called for. I always want to say not yet. I, now I can say not yet. You, you began doing it the way the Bible prescribed, but somewhere along the line, some uh, raggedy intercessor got in your ear and began to divert you from the truth. I'm not going to like it. It's all right. I'm going to preach anyway. Some parking lot prophet got in your ear and whispered to you and said, it doesn't take all of that. And what they're preaching is not true. And the way that you see God is not true. But the question is still on the floor. Who has bewitched you? The universal theme of the book of Galatians is the truth of the gospel. Somebody say the truth of the gospel. Somebody say the truth of the gospel. The word of God declares that if our gospel is hid, it is only hid to those who are perishing, whom the God of this age has blinded their heart and their mind. And I know that sounds bigoted and it sounds biased, but the reality is, beloved, if you cannot see the validity of the truth of this gospel, it means the devil is riding on your eyelids. It means that the devil has set up a contraption that hinders your ability to adequately perceive spiritual truth. Somebody say, God, remove the blinders. The word of God is truth. Say, the word of God is truth. God and his word are one. Jesus Christ is both the word and truth. You cannot have one without the other. Say, God and his word are one. Say, Jesus Christ is truth. Say, Jesus Christ is the word of God. I know that that sounds very traditional and it sounds believable, but the reality is many of us can confess it, but we don't believe it. Because Jesus said that if you love me, you would keep my... I can't get help in here because we were singing worship songs and praise songs and we were declaring our love for the Lord. But he doesn't measure your love by your sentimental value that you attach to a moment of worship. He measures your love by whether or not you obey exactly what he said. I can't get help. I know a lot of people walked up in here with your mind made up. God, I love you. And for God, I'll live. And for God, I'll die. But when was the last time you took an assessment of the checklist? of your obedience when was the last time you looked at the word of God and measured how you actually measure up in alignment to what God has said it's quiet in here the word of God is truth John the fourth first chapter says in the beginning somebody say beginning the beginning uh, the word is RK it means the first place somebody say the first place 
It means principality. It means rule. It means magistry, which means the office of a magistrate or a collective of magistrates. Somebody say in the beginning. It means in the very first, there was the word. Someone say in the beginning was the word. Now, that's an interesting thing for us to recognize theologically because we would think that God himself was the beginning. I can't get help. But the word there, RK, means first of the first. It means principality. It means the very first of everything or the first place. The Bible says in the beginning was the word. So that means that God did not initially reveal himself as a person or a personality or even a deity. It means that his very first expression in all of creation was a word. Somebody shout a word. Now, that may not mean something to everybody in here, but if you got at least one word over your life, that's a good place for you to inject a praise because if in the beginning was a word, that means that the word of God is really all you need. Y'all not saying nothing. It says, now here, the word called our understanding of God into being. That means that the word of God has intelligence. It means the word of God has personality. It means the word of God has ability. Somebody say amen. The scripture declares that he sent his word and healed them. He didn't send healing anointing. He didn't send healing angels. But he sent a word. Somebody say a word. Because when God sends a word, everything that is God is encapsulated in the word that he sends. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now we can see the value and the power of every word that we have from God because all that God is, is in the word that he sends. Somebody say amen. amen. 1 Samuel 3.21 says the Lord appeared to Samuel at Shiloh and there revealed himself, somebody say amen, amen. through his word as we're working on it. Verse 4, John 1, it says in him was life. That means all that pertains to God's concept of true life exudes from being in Christ. Say, I'm in Christ. That means that life force, the spirit of life, the energy of life, the flow of life from God's mind and eternal perspective, it only flows out of Jesus Christ. That means that if you are not in Christ, you are not in life. Come on. Some of us in here, as I struggle through screeching monitors and my throat, some of us are wondering why the life that we hoped we were going to live is evading us. Some of us cry. We talked about it this morning. Some of the tears that we see in church are not really tears of worship. They're tears of trauma. They're tears of sadness. 
They are tears of the traumatic things that have gone on in our life. They are tears of agony. Why? Because when we look at where we should be from where we are, many times we see a huge gap that we cannot bridge. Somebody say amen. In Christ is the fullness of life. So it means that when you look around in your life and you begin to take an assessment of your life and you see the forces of death raging, you have to ask yourself a question, where did I step on the outside of Christ? Because if we are in Christ, the Bible declares, if any man be in Christ, he is, he is a new creature. All things and behold... So it is impossible to be in Christ and be old. I can't get help. It is impossible for you to walk in Christ and your old nature be in control. So the only way the old you is still calling the shots, it means you had to have stepped outside of Christ. Somebody say amen. The word of God declares that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Somebody shout truth. John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I am the way. Somebody say the way. That's not a way. It's not one of many ways. And I know that uh, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God and it sounds very anal and it sounds very prejudiced and it sounds very narcissistic but Jesus Christ of Nazareth said himself I am the way somebody say he is the way somebody say the way that means he is the way somebody say the way somebody say the way why am I emphasizing the way because you're focused on your way. And the problem with your way is that your way is not going to get you to the intended destination. He laid it out clearly in the word. Now you can be invited to my house for dinner. Or a counseling meeting. Or a prayer meeting. And I can give you the address. And I can give you directions. And I can tell you how to get to my house. Now, if you want to, you can insist on going 95 South and go all the way to Philadelphia to Broad Street. You can insist it, but the problem is you're not going to wind up at the destination because it's my house and it's my address. I'm letting you know if you want to meet up with me, this is the way that you've got to go. Now, you can go all the way to Broad Street, and you can go down to the 7-Eleven, and you can call it Furlough's house all you want to. You can walk up and down the street and look at the little kids, and you can say, looks like Alvin to me, looks like Aiden to me, and you can pretend that that's a part of my family, but the reality is, if you're going to come to my house, you've got to come my way. Y'all not saying nothing. And so there are many believers that are trying to get into the household of faith, but they're not coming by the way. Not coming by the way. Watch this. You're not going to like it. Truth is objective. Say truth is objective. That means it's not up to your personal opinion. It's not up to your belief. It's not up to your will. 
It's not up to what you feel. And this is scary. And this is where the, the waters get murky because we have been taught a philosophy that says everybody gets to choose their own path. You get to choose your own destiny. You get to choose your own belief. You are entitled to what you believe. Well, that's all and that's good until truth shows up. Because when truth shows up, you are permitted to either accept the truth or to buy into a lie. He said, I am the way, somebody say the truth, and the life. Watch this. People claim to accept Jesus, but that's mental assent. Somebody say mental assent. For God so loved the world that shall not what does that mean? Huh? Who? Y'all don't know what that means. But you know the scripture. And you know it because you heard it. And you heard it because somebody preached it. And somebody preached it and you memorized it by repeating it with them like I just did. You know what that's called? Mental ascent. Because if I asked you for the Greek word for world there, most of you wouldn't know what it meant. Because y'all hear that scripture, y'all not ready. Y'all not ready for Bible teaching. And, and you think it means that God loved all the sinners so much that he sent his son to save them. But the word there is cosmokratos, which really means the system of the world. Y'all not ready. Mental assent says, I know it because I'm familiar with it, but it doesn't mean you really know it. So your experience with claiming Jesus as your Savior doesn't mean he's actually your Savior because you think you know it because some people only profess salvation by mental assent. It's muscle memory in the mind that when you are confronted with a situation where you, I, I know y'all don't like it, but I'm preaching the truth in here anyhow. When you're confronted with a situation where you have to mirror or reflect what it looks like to know him, you know how to act like you know him. When it's time to show someone that you're a believer, you may not believe nothing, but you know how to look like I'm a believer. You may not have faith in anything that God has promised, but when they ask you the question, you know how to give the response. It's called mental assent. For God so loved the world, you thought it meant sinners up until three seconds ago. You didn't know that scripture. Watch this. Jesus said it like this, John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That means the disobedient don't love them. I'm coming down your street. Give me a second. Give me, give me a few more minutes. It means the disobedient don't love him. The word of God is true. Say the word of God is true. Say the word of God is absolute truth. So then why is there such a void of truth in the earth? 
People don't preach the Bible. They don't preach the proper exegesis of Scripture. They preach eisegetically. What does eisegesis mean? Eisegesis is my perception. Oh, God, I know. I'm not going to get a lot of help. My, you know, my, my life, I'm not going to get a lot of help in my life. So as long as you're here with me, I can do what you call me to do. Okay? All right. The Bible says scripture is profitable for correction. What is correction? It's not just hitting you over the head. It means when things are not in alignment, the scripture has the ability to bring it back into alignment. It says for doctrine, that means systematic teaching. Scripture is profitable for systematic teaching. Scripture is profitable, the scripture says, for rebuke. Somebody say rebuke. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Say the word of God is truth. Say the word of God is absolute truth. Say the truth makes me free. So the only place where you have a bondage is the place where you have not accepted truth. The only place, take an assessment real quick. Where are you bound? What sin do you have to keep repenting for? If you ever really repented to begin. Saying I'm sorry is not repentance. Saying Lord forgive me, the blood of Jesus is not repentance. What sin, think about it, take an assessment. What sin would you say is a bondage in your life? Because if the truth makes you free, the only legal bondage in your life is a place where you are willingly deceived. What is the intention? What is God's intention for the place where you were bound? Because if you marry his intention, the bondage will break. If you marry his purpose in that arena, the stronghold of the enemy will have to let you go. But the problem with a generation that has only been taught that it's whatever you want and whatever you think and however you feel, the problem is when we are confronted with the truth of God, we still think that we have an option as to whether or not we're going to believe it. So we get the consequence of not adhering to truth and we go straight into bondage. What's God's purpose? Oh, Lord, I can't do it. Let me keep going. What is the kingdom of God? More than the realm of his sovereignty, it is the literal composite of the ideas of God, the philosophies of God, his principles, his law, his government, his systems, his presence, his powers, his abilities, his blessings, his enablement, and his security. Somebody say the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and I'm winding down. 
Somebody say the word of God is true. Somebody say the word of God is truth. Say the Lord Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, say it, no man, that is mankind. Say no man cometh unto the Father unless he comes through me. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. God and his word are one. In the beginning was the word. The word called our understanding of God into being. So his word was hanging in the midst of nothingness and spoke himself into existence. All that we know and have experienced as God began with his word. Hear me? So inherently in his word is the ability to transmute you from where and who you are into what and who he has intended. Should I say it again or y'all got it? The word has the power to transmute you to atomically and chemically and hormonally transition you from who and what you are right now into his intention. Here's the dilemma. Too many of you think who you are is who you are. Was that Lady Gaga that said I was born this way? Well, you sure were, but that wasn't his intention. Because you were born into sin and shaped in iniquity. So, yeah, you were born that way, but you're supposed to be born again. And if you're born again, it means that the composition and the construct of who you are, it's changed according to the order of the new birth. Come on, y'all. Stop fighting the Holy Ghost over who you're trying to remain while he's trying to transform you into who you're supposed to become. God is shifting you. God is changing you. God is transforming you. God is developing you, but you can't be sitting in the ring with boxing gloves on trying to take God out because he's putting his finger in places where you need to change. I was born this way, and you were also born going to hell. But you're trying to escape it. I can't get no help. If you start looking at it that way, then you'll understand. Yeah, you were born with that impulse and you were born with that desire and you were born with that predilection or predisposition. But when you were born again, you become a brand new species of person. It means you take on a whole nother persona. You take on another identity. You're struggling with becoming who God has called you to be because you refuse to take on the identity that he has assigned to you. Gender neutrality is one of the biggest insults to the omnipotence of God that has ever hit this earth. Word of God declares that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
that you are made in his likeness and in his image. That you, especially when you are born again, you are made after his kind. You are made after his likeness. It said that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, you begin to take on the attributes and the characteristics and the properties of his divinity. And for you to look up in his face and to declare, I don't want to be who you made me to be is a slap in the face of the sovereign God. You say you don't hate God and you love him because he's love. Then you got to love what he loves. Oh God, help me, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, son of the living God. What does your hatred of God look like? Oh God, y'all not going to like this. Y'all not going to like it. And I think I wouldn't be anointed if I only preach what people like. So just pray for me. All right? You praying? Okay. You, Lord, I want to call his name, are in love with transgendered women. I always knew there was a little something in him. I always know. You know, I got a good eye. Oh, I got a good eye. As smooth, as rough, as alpha male as he is. You know that I know. That's what my spiritual mother looked at me when I came in the house that day. And she started asking me questions about the people I was with. She said, how's so-and-so doing? I said, oh, so-and-so's good. You know, me and so-and-so decided not to be such close friends. She said, uh-huh. Now you know that I know. <laughs> looked at Brother Yoba. I said, now you know. There's something in there. I know all these women in here sweating over you, but I said, I see something. So now you become the voice and the advocate for the love of transgendered women. That means that you have become the poster boy for the hatred of God. Because you cannot. You cannot be a lover of the things that God detests and love him at the same time. You can't tell me you love me and you're trying to kill my wife. You can't be in my face smiling in my face trying to eat with me talking about how good I am and how much I mean to you and you're secretly plotting against my marriage. You can't say how much, oh, I love you, and you the man of God. And all the while, you hoping something happens to her because you think you're supposed to be the one walking. The devil is a lie. If you love me, you've got to love who I love. You've got to love what I love. The transgendered agenda is to gloss over blatant homosexuality. You love transgender women? No, you like men that look like women. I don't care if you cut it off. I don't care if you tuck it in. I don't care if you smooth it over. 
when they start sweating, then masculine hormones are going to come out. There's some, you, better, you better back up off of that. See, I learned something because I research and I read. It's called homoeroticism. You better watch some of these men always in the gym. You both, but there's a thing called homoeroticism where y'all not, not going to like the truth. When men get turned on by other men, you don't call it that. You don't talk about it, but there's something chemically that goes on when men are sweating. You're a transgender loving man. When the rubber meets the road, Cindy, that talked to you real sweet, is going to get excited and going to sound like this. <laughs> Oop, that slipped out. There's something in you that is desirous of something that God doesn't like. And so you have to admit that even though with your mouth and your mental assent that you declare I love the Lord, that the reality, y'all not going to say nothing, is that I hate. Let me get through this scripture. I got to go. 1 Corinthians 6 says, do you not know? Get this. Get, come on. Let's take this word. Do you not know? Have you not been made aware? Have you not come in to the intimate knowledge of? Guys, listen, listen to me, y'all. Listen, 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 listen. Listen. Your opinion doesn't matter in this. Tangy? What we think doesn't matter. Hear me? What we feel doesn't matter. Deception had me bound, Elder Bonaparte, for a long time. Day, a long time. Because I said, I, I looked at God and I said, but it's your fault that they molested me. You, you didn't stop it. I was four years old. I couldn't stop that. You let that happen. So now that I have to deal with these desires, y'all don't want to be transparent. And I've got to deal. I became a miniature thought. You ever seen a miniature thought? <laughs> you ever seen a miniature thought? Oh, my mother not here today, and she ain't got Facebook Live. Thank you, Jesus. I was 10 years old. 10 years old. Pastor Autumn, close your ears. 10 years old. Running women. One, no, I said women. They weren't women. Little girls in and out the house. Let 
Not a toddler, a thoughtler. I was in nursery school. I will call the girl's name. I ain't gonna call her name because she'll be on my Facebook. I don't want y'all to find out who she is. Nursery school in the sandbox because we had a real box with sand in it. Pulling the girl's panties down. Miss Wilson came outside. She said, Randall, what are you doing? Try to fix it. Nothing. Back then they used to beat you. She took me inside and beat me with the blocks. She had these blocks and she beat me. You don't touch that girl like that. I didn't understand what happened to me. As a four-year-old, I was molested. So my sexual appetite was raging as a little kid because I was violated. My great-grandfather, I could not wait for summertime because my great-grandmother was in the convalescent home. And every day around 1 o'clock, Pop-Pop went to go see Nana. Every day. Somebody say every day. And you know what happened every day? My mama had a key to Pop-Pop's house upstairs. So I waited to watch his car. CJ, shut up. Don't be talking about my great-grandfather. <laughs> and don't tell your mother and don't tell your grandmother. I waited for Pop-Pop to go see Nana. Because when I went upstairs in the room, guess what Pop-Up had? He had a whole bunch of porno videos. Hot chocolate. <laughs> and don't none of y'all try to go look them up. Black tie affair. Here I am, seven years old. Can't wait for Pop-Up to go see Nana so I can watch the tape. understand what happened. Hormones raging. Sexual appetite awakened and heightened. So I looked at God and said, you never protected me so you can't judge me because I don't have control. I'm helping somebody in here because that's your excuse. can't control my impulses. You allowed my sexuality to be awakened illegally and in a demonic molestation covenant. Some about the bushes. I ain't even talking about how many times I got in trouble with girls in the bushes at school. I ain't even going to tell y'all. And then there was the other side. Because some of y'all over there too. Some of y'all straddling the fence. Over here on Monday, over here on Tuesday, and sometimes you slide through the middle on Wednesday. And your argument is, but God, you made me this way. No, he didn't make you that way. Something happened to you that way. Here's the deliverance. I got to go. If the word of God is true, and it is, if Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is, if truth is not up to my opinion, 
opinion and is not subjective but objective. And it is. Then it means, Elder Bonaparte, it doesn't matter my reasoning or rationale. I can't look in the face of the holy God and say, but I just can't help it because that's an insult to his salvation and his infilling of the Holy Spirit. I can't look at him and say, but God, I can't stop. Because then I make the word of God that is here to transform me of none effect. I can't say, but God, I've always been this way. Because then I'm telling him that his new creation whole program doesn't work. God, my mama was a liar. I can't help but lie. Okay, let me, can I just show y'all this thing? Can we go home? Scripture says, so, so, so when you're dealing with the dilemmas of life, you got to deal with it. You got to go through it. You got to confront it. Don't, don't ignore it. Confront it. Don't fake it. Don't smooth it over. Confront it. Confront it. Confront it. Y'all with me? Y'all hear my heart? I would be devastated to get to heaven and God tell me something y'all didn't make it and y'all went to hell. feel like I failed I would at that time then I would say God I should have just publicly exposed stuff because it maybe would have saved their soul I would say maybe maybe I should have offended their mind to convict their heart maybe I shouldn't have been so politically correct in how I handled them maybe I shouldn't have been maybe I should not have misinterpreted what your grace is really all about Maybe I didn't preach hard enough to make them realize that your word is true and that if we don't line up to it, then we are the lie and not you. God, you see our culture in the church. How they're preaching to us a diluted gospel that has no power. Sometimes I look at God, Aaron, with tears rolling down my face. And I ask him, I say, do you at least see how many times I've tried to do what you said? Is there a record in heaven that shows the effort? Because I know that I failed you. I know that I dropped the ball. I know that I've fallen short of your glory. But do you at least see the record? The intent. Do you read the desire of my heart that says, if all I had was you, that would be enough? Do you see how I've given my life to please you? And how I would never want to shame you or your kingdom. Ever. So in all of my weakness and deficiencies, I weep to beg for strength. 
I pray hard prayers, Minister Elena. I say remove every person, everything that is a detriment to what you see for me. No matter who it is. No matter what it is. Because at the end of my life, These opinions of men don't matter. These niggas will lay down the palm branches so that your feet don't touch dirt. And 24 hours later, they will stand there on the side of the jury and demand your death. You can't live your life based on the opinions of niggas. Because their praise is synonymous with their cursing. They'll lift you up one day. Oh, how great a man or woman of God you are. And then when you die, they'll call people and gossip about everything that they knew. You can't live. Is that offensive? That's all right. The gospel is an offense. Let me, can I read this scripture and get out of here? You cannot live. Listen, y'all. Oh, Jesus Christ, please. You cannot live for their accolades. Their accolades. I got an accent. I don't know where it came from. It just, the words just come out. Because they don't amount to anything. 1 Corinthians 6, this scripture, say the word of God is true. It says, do you not know, there's a question, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul, to the church at Galatia, had to deal with the perversion of the gospel of grace. Because they were misdirecting the grace. Who doing walkie-talkie in the middle of service? What was I saying? He's talking about his grace. He's dealing with the perversion of the gospel of grace. I'm going to come over here with the people that's not. version of the gospel of grace in the church of Galatia. And we are dealing with the perversion of the gospel of grace in our day. The scripture is emphatically clear. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Ask your neighbor, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit 
the kingdom of God. So why do we sit in a crowd full of 500 people and say we in the kingdom? Everybody in there ain't righteous. Why do we preach to people? Oh, God, help me, Jesus, please. Without scrutiny. We should say all the righteous people come sit in the middle so I can focus this part of the message on y'all. Because y'all about to get a breakthrough. And y'all about to go to the next level. And God is about to open doors for you. And the heavens are about to open over your life. And you're about to get your elevation. And you're about to get your promotion. And everything that you've been looking for in God, God says in 2020, the year of dominion, is coming to pass for you. Prophet Donna said 2020 is the year of dominion. 2020 is the year of dominion. Don't you know that everything that's been above you is about to be under you? Because God is about to raise you up. Ah, the power of God's coming on your life. Now, all the unrighteous people, <laughs> none of that applies to you. We need to have sections in church. We need all the righteous people to sit in the purple section. We need the unrighteous to sit in the black section. Says, I'm serious. It'll make preaching easy. You know which section to look at. Y'all, okay, yeah, I got to wind down. I have a pet peeve. Ask me what it is. I hate to be lied to. I hate it. Beloved, I, I just hate to be lied to. I hate it. Minister Will, I hate it. Elder Bonaparte, I hate to be lied to. Tell me the truth and deal with whatever my consequences don't lie to me, because I'm always going to find out that you're lying. And there are some people who lie first. I can always tell, because it does something inside of me when someone is deceiving me. I can tell. I can always tell. It could be a simple lie. Oh, I talked to so-and-so yesterday. You ain't talked to them. And when you say it to me, something in here starts turning, like I can... All right, all the liars trying to, trying to look like they're not liars right now. You can tell when people, because then they straighten their face up real straight. Looking like that lady from Tyler Perry. Remember the lady that when she got high, she started seeing rabbits? He said, don't come over here no more, Mildred. She's like. That's what the liars, when you start hitting people's sin, they start. If I look like this, they won't know it's me. Don't come over here no more, Mildred. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators. If the word of God is true, and it is, if God and his word are one, and they are, if Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the light, and he is, and if he says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, where do we reason that the Bible says neither fornicators, but we still fornicate, and we still say we love them? No, come on. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. It's a spirit of deception. Let's find it. Where 
is the rationale that says, I know what the Bible says. But this is what I'm going to do. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Can I be more specific? Nor homosexuals. Y'all ready? And if that wasn't specific enough, is another word. It says, nor sodomites. Two completely different categories. If you think homosexual meant something loose, the sodomite is much more descriptive. Oh, God, help me. Because the implication of the sodomites is that they're the bottom. Y'all don't like raw preaching. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I didn't write the Bible. I didn't, I, I didn't write this. I, didn't, I did not write this. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Can I, can I, just, can I just tell you what, the, can, I, can I give you definitions real quick? Inherit means, it's a word, kleronemeo, and it means to receive a lot or to receive by lot, or it means to receive a part of an inheritance or the right of an inheritance or to be an heir. It means to receive the portion assigned to one, to receive the allotted portion, to receive as one's own or a possession or as their possession or to become a partaker of or to obtain. That's what it means to inherit, okay? So in other words, if the Bible gives us a categorization of the people who do not inherit the kingdom of God and you are found in that list, it means you have no inheritance. But I fit so well in the church. Yeah, you in the church, but you're not in the kingdom. Oh, but I serve so well in ministry. Every time they call up the ministry technicians I have on my shirt. Every time, let me get more specific. Every time they call up the ministers to pray, I'm there to work the altar. Every time they need me to play, I'm on the keys or the bass or the drums or the horn or the guitar. I do church so well. But the Bible that is objective truth says that if I'm in this list I don't have the ability to be a partaker of the kingdom so then what what is my unrepentant disposition really doing it's only deceiving me you know how many people pastor Isaiah 
have been in church for years confessing stuff that don't even pertain to them because they refuse to repent. Refuse. Let me go. Hold on. I'm a Unrighteous will not inherit. Unrighteous means it is descriptive of one who violates or has violated justice. It means unjust, unrighteous. Watch this. Are you ready? It means one who deals fraudulently with others or a deceitful person. You're a fraud. You have no part in the kingdom. You deal fraudulently with other people with the intention of deceiving them. Oh, I'm Pastor Tyra. We're collecting money for a special offering for the mission trip. Oh, I ain't got it. And you got $300 in your pocket. Some of you about to spend on weed. Some of you about to spend on weave. <laughs> and some, I don't know where the rest of that's going to go. Oh, I ain't got it this week, Pastor Ty. Fraud! And you're dealing fraudulently with the attempt or intent to deceive unrighteous. All right, well, let's keep going. Fornicators. It's the word pornos. P-O-R-N-O-S. Pornos. Plural for porno. It is from the word peprosco, which means to sell of a price or sold into slavery of the master to one who is sold a slave. It's a word that means sold under sin. Watch this. It means entirely under the control of the love of sinning. So if you're a real fornicator, you love to sin. You don't just love sex. You just love sin. So if you're a fornicator, sexual sin ain't going to be the only thing in your life. We're going to find a whole list of them because you actually have an appetite just to be out of alignment with God. said of one bribed watch this to give himself up wholly to another's will so if you're a fornicator you're not even calling the fornicator shots somebody calling you and turning on your fornication somebody texting you it's like a remote control you could have just let bible study with your mind made up you ain't never going to do it again. And here come a text. Next thing you know, you're subjected to the will of another person. The Bible says fornicators are sold into slavery. It's where we get the word pornography from. All you're doing is fornicating with a whole bunch of people that you ain't never get to touch. You still fornicating pornography, people. 
you are still wrapping your spirit and soul with the people that you are meditating on in the middle of your self-gratiating self, uh, 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 sex act. You have tied your soul to those people. It says, to be given over to death is the definition for the word fornication. To be given over to death? See, that's why I'm hard on my single people. I be trying to get y'all married real quick. Go through hell in your marriage. At least you're going to go to heaven. <laughs> Just get married and go through hell together. Put your boxing gloves on and duke it out in the Holy Ghost. Father, we're going to fight. We're going to fight poverty. We're going to fight attitudes. We're going to fight everything that we need to adjust. At least when we have sex, we're not going to hell. Get me. I will be doing marriages all week. Find you a marriage certificate and let's get it on and popping because you pop in anyway. Wait a minute. It says to be given over to death. It comes from a word, nekar, which means to act or treat as foreign or strange. Watch this. Pay attention, y'all. Don't lose me. I know I got to go. It says to disguise or to misconstrue, to disguise oneself or to act like an alien. What is that telling us, Deacon. You can only be overtaken by sexual sin if you don't have an identity. You don't know who you are. And you don't know God's intended purpose for your sexuality. Oh, Jesus. Well, let's go. Let's find another sin. Y'all didn't like that. Idolater is a worshiper of false gods. Is used even, is used of anyone, even a Christian, who participates in any way in the worship of the heathen gods, especially one who attends the sacrificial feasts and eats the remains of the offered victims. A covetous man is a worshiper of mammon. So if you are a worshiper of mammon, you are an idolater. What does a worshiper of mammon look like? You picking up overtime when you should be at church. Overtime. Or worse, you're doing Uber. That ain't even no job. Did HR hire you? If HR didn't hire you, that ain't no job. That's a side gig to help you get a couple of coins. So we in church and you Ubering. Or lifting. Let me be even more specific. Because that's the, the sign that I saw in the window. idolater because instead of worshiping the almighty you're worshiping the system of money y'all this is tight right it says they have no part in the kingdom of God well let's keep going adulterer y'all ready for this what's the definition of an adulterer one who is faithless towards God the word for adultery in the scripture, means one who doesn't have faith. 
God, you called me to do X, Y, and Z, but I don't believe you. You're an adulterer. God, you called me to preach, and I won't line up. You're an adulterer. God, you called me into your service, and I won't submit. You're an adulterer. Aaron, play something, please, because people are getting restless. Low. I'm winding down. Can I teach? It says the effeminate. This is the word for homosexual in the King James. It's a word. Watch this. Are y'all ready for this? It's a word, malakos, which means soft to the touch. Don't grab your neighbor's hand, but your hand a little bit too soft to the touch, bro. You've been soaking your hands in too much palmolive. A little soft. You ought to have a little callus in there from some of your years of doing man stuff. Don't touch the hand. Don't, don't ask nobody. Don't. It means having or showing characteristics that are regarded as typical of a woman, and it means to be unmanly. The Bible definition says to be characterized by excessive softness, delicacy, self-indulgence or effeminate luxury. You ain't got no business at the Estee Lauder counter because they do not have a men's line. Effeminate luxury. All right, let me skip to this one. They didn't like that one either abusers of themselves with mankind translated sodomites and new king james homosexuals in nasb it's from the word arhen and koite which means a place for laying down resting sleeping in a bed or couch it means the marriage bed cohabitation lawful or unlawful sexual intercourse and it means one who lies with a male as with a female But God made me this way. It doesn't matter. Get made again. But I was born this way. Get born again. But I can't help the innate drive. Transform your mind by the renewing of your mind in the word of God. Thieves. Kleptes. From where we get the word kleptomaniac. An embezzler. A pilferer, which is a thief who steals without using violence. Every time you go to Walmart, you leave with something you didn't pay for. You're a pilferer. Synonymous with sneak, thief, or snitch. It's a rat. Someone who lives near wharves and lives by pilfering from ships or warehouses. A stealer. A criminal who takes property belonging to someone else with the intention of keeping it or selling it. That's a thief. Covetous. 
pleon eketes, which means one eager to have more, especially something that belongs to another person. Drunkard. The word is methesos. We get the word methamphetamines from it. It means to be drunken. I want all of y'all to listen to this because this is a lot of y'all in here. It means to be drunken. It is synonymous with one who has shed blood or murdered profusely. So God compares drunkenness with excessive murder. It means intoxicated. And the Hebrew equivalent is rabah, which means to be satiated or saturated, to have or drink one's fill. It means to be drunk, intoxicated, to drench, to water abundantly, to saturate, to cause to drink. And another Hebrew equivalent is shakar, which means to become drunk or drunken, intoxicated, to make drunken, to cause to be drunk, to make oneself drunk. Other Greek words. Methisko which means to intoxicate, to make drunk, to get drunk, to become intoxicated, or methe, which means intoxication and drunkenness. And there was another Hebrew word that I didn't write down that meant wine or sweet wine, to become drunk with wine or sweet wine. They used to ask years ago, what must I do to be saved? Now they ask, what can I keep doing and still be saved? The Bible says, y'all, and I, I may never preach like this again. I may never, ever, ever preach like this again. I don't know. The Bible says drunkards have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. I don't drink to get drunk. Then why are you slurring? I don't drink to get drunk. Why is the room spinning? I don't drink to get drunk. Then why are you dancing? Because you don't usually dance. You're an introvert. You're drunk. Drunk ain't crashing off the side of the road dead. That's dead. Drunk is intoxicated or under the control of another one. Can I add, can I add something else to this? Y'all not going to like it. The word for sorcery. Ready for this? Pharmakia. From where we get pharmacy and pharmaceutical. Pharmakia means drug use. That's it. Your drug use is synonymous with sorcery. It's the sin of sorcery. Now I understand why that time I smoked weed. Let me tell you what happened. Don't tell them. Lord Jesus, I was on the highway rider. I was going to get high, Jasmine. You hear me? The people I was with had a couple of bags, and I said, I'm going to get high. I didn't even know what high I was, but I was going, whatever it was, I was going. And I'm smoking. And I'm blowing it out. They said, you got to swallow the smoke. You can't let the smoke out. You got to inhale it. I can't do it, because when I do that, I start coughing. But I'm getting high. Driving down 95, heading north, and we get to the place where Long Wharf and the Long Island Sound is on the right. And right as we were passing it, 
I heard a spirit jump out of the water and jumped all the way up. It was almost like a cartoon. Now, first of all, let me just rebuke all y'all. Nah, you was just really high. No. I'm anointed. I'm spiritual. They said, ooh, you was out there. You was high, high. You was, that, was, you had, that was a good time. It was not a good time. Spirit jumped out of the water and said, And went through the roof of the car and landed on my chest like this. And immediately when it hit my chest, I had this sensation like I was sinking through the ground. Now, I had encountered that before because when I was living in really abhorrent sexual sin, I entered into a realm where I was about to die when I lived in Florida. And that same sensation hit me out of nowhere in the middle of the night. And I was driving the car and kept grabbing the steering wheel because I kept sinking through the bottom of the car. I knew that I was about to die. I knew. I knew. I knew. I knew it so well, Elder Michelle, that was a Friday night. I was living in Tampa. I was leaving Tampa, heading to Orlando to hang out with Javier, who was not a pastor then. He came to our church a few months ago. Javier and all his friends were my friends. I was driving the two-hour drive from Tampa to Orlando and began to sink in the car. And it came after I cried out to God. I'm really about to end. I couldn't feel him anymore, Stephen. I couldn't hear him, and I wasn't used to that. But it was because I was totally backslidden at that point. I had had visitations where Satan had come to take me. There were people praying for me, so he couldn't take me. He always had to put me back in my body. And I was driving to Orlando, and I screamed at the top of my lungs, God, where are you? I can't feel you. I can't hear you. And in the midst of my screaming, the sinking began. Got all the way to Orlando, told Javi what was going on, scared the bejesus out of him. Somebody say Friday night. By Monday morning, I was living with Dr. B, my spiritual mother. I had moved back to Connecticut. I called her. I said, I got to go. I said, I feel like I'm going to die. She said, you are. She said, you are. She said, I've been in intercession. I've been binding the spirit of death. It's on you. So I got back home. It took weeks for that to stop. It took weeks. That's how I know sometimes when you see people instantly die, it wasn't really instant. The spiritual process began long before. The death is actually the finality of that transition. Weeks. So I'm driving down the highway, fast forward, I'm getting high, and the sinking begins. I know it. I said, Dad, that sucks. I'm about to die from smoking weed. Why would I have died? Not because weed kills, but because I know too much about God to step over into an arena of sorcery and not think that the devil's going to capitalize on. See, some of y'all about to really trip out now. Next time you go to get high, you're going to be floating somewhere. Because now you know it's sorcery. 
Now you know it's witchcraft. Now you know you're stepping over into a demonic world. That spirit had permission to take me out. And it almost did. Ask me what I did. I called a couple of intercessors because I had enough sense to know people need to pray. And I called my spiritual mother again. She said, yep, almost lost you tonight. I said, I know. Wound up in the hospital. They thought I was crazy. I said, I can't breathe. He said, your oxygen is fine. I said, I don't care what your little test is telling you. I'm telling you, I can't breathe. I'm about to die. Somebody say, pharmakia. Taking a long time. Revilers, mischief, railer, and accuser, one who's verbally abusive. Swindlers. It's a word, harpats, which means rapacious, excessively grasping or covetous, living on prey, an extortioner or robber. You can't be doing illegal, organized crime and make it to heaven. Somebody go tell somebody that. Somebody in New York and Little Italy needs to hear that. You're not making it in. Then the scripture says, I'm done. And such were some of you, but you were washed. It means to wash off or away. You were sanctified. It means to be rendered or acknowledged as venerable or hollow. To consecrate things to God, to dedicate people to God, to purify, to cleanse externally, to purify by expitiation. Ex yeah, that. Free from guilt of sin. E-X-P-I-A-T-I-O-N. To purify internally by the renewal of the soul. Some of us were in this list. I know I was in a few spots. But when you accept Jesus Christ, he washes you off. He washes it off. He sanctifies you, which means that what was once used for your spot on the list is now dedicated to God. It's now rendered as holy. Y'all trying to get holy, you've been rendered holy. You're trying to get clean, and he cleaned you. It says, but he justified you. Which means being righteous, observing divine laws, upright, virtuous, keeping the commands of God, innocent. It means faultless. So when the scripture says he justified us, he made us faultless. There's no fault in us. Now do you understand how the author of Hebrews could say, how could you no neglect such a great salvation? Everybody's standing. How could you neglect such a great salvation? That you've done all of this dirt and all of this mess and you've been all of these places and you've been with all of these people and the demons are jumping out of the ocean trying to kill you. You done did all this sorcery. You've done all of this stuff. And when you come to God, he washes you, sanctifies you, and justifies you like you never did anything wrong. Wouldn't the appropriate response to that be to live for him? 
You mean to tell me I'm in the court facing execution. The prosecutor has all the proof. The accuser of the brethren is sitting there with the list. Last Wednesday night, last Tuesday night, Monday morning, this is what they did. I got pictures, I got evidence, I got receipts. And the accuser is standing there before the throne of God, before the judge, and saying, I got proof that they have committed high treason against your holiness. Your law demands that they die. So the accuser of the brethren looks in the face of God and says, you are a just God. You're just. There's no partiality in you. So I'm demanding that based on your law, you wrote this that you give them to me for the punishment that's due them. That's what Jesus meant when he told Peter, Satan has to sift you as wheat. Because Peter had stuff in him that belonged to the devil. Here's the difference. The accuser of the brethren is there. The accuser has his proof, has his receipts. If you are only willing to appeal to the mercy of the judge. The mercy of the court. I throw myself on the mercy of the court. I agree with my accuser. That's why Jesus said, when you and your accuser are walking on the way, agree with him quickly so he doesn't throw you over to the judge and the magistrate. Agree, because you know he's right. Don't be mad when the devil is a liar, but he didn't lie about that. Agree. Father, I did it. Everything the prosecutor has mentioned in this Supreme Court, I have to confess it's me. Now I'm asking you for mercy because this book says that you anticipated this day and that before I ever had need of you that you came to the earth in the form of flesh and you took the penalty of every sin he just named. With my name in your blood, you nailed it to the cross. So I admit my guilt. I can't hide it from you because you're omniscient. You're all seeing. You're all knowing. I confess it. Now I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me not so I can run out of this court facing this life sentence and do it all again. Forgive me because if you give me another chance, I promise I'm going to do different with the life that you just saved. You're not allowing me to get off of this to wind up at the court again because second offenders don't usually get off. The judge looks at you and says, you in my court again? Did you take my kindness for weakness last time? I could have threw the book at you last time. We don't get out free, y'all. 
Jesus shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. Y'all, it's not a free ticket to do what you want to do. Because the Bible says when you're in that predicament, it says that you count the blood of Jesus by which you were sanctified as a common thing and you trample him underfoot. Eventually, there's no longer a sacrifice for your sin. It's Hebrews. Eventually, y'all not going to like this, but eventually the blood don't work. Eventually, it don't work. Because your conscience becomes seared with a hot iron. And what should prick you no longer pricks you. What should convict you no longer convicts you. Some of y'all are in that spot right now. I'm telling you in that spot. What, what should move you to tears no longer even phases you. You are in trouble. You are backslidden. You are apostate and you don't even know because you do church well, but you didn't even realize you've missed the kingdom. You have no lot. Church ain't going to heaven. No scripture that says church is going to heaven. You don't need a church in heaven. Church is God's legislative arm of the kingdom on the earth. So I feel sorry for the people that do church well and ain't never entered into the kingdom. You never entered in. The Bible says you got to be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. Except the man be born of water and the spirit. You can't even see the kingdom of God. You can come to church all day, all night. If you are not real, y'all listen to me. You have to, this has to be real. I don't care what they preach down the street. If we're the only people going to heaven and we're not, don't make that a sound bite. I don't care what they preach down the street. Or next door for that matter we have to repent you have to repent I have to repent we cannot live in sin and think we're making it in Y'all, that is unpopular, and I promise you, you can go to a church with 30,000 members that will never preach anything that sounds like that. But this book just made it clear. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where once again, we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. We'll see you next time.